Well, good morning. I think winter's around the corner. What do you think? <laughs> They're saying maybe snow on Wednesday, huh? I think they've changed it back and forth a lot, you know, even up to four inches. At one time when I looked at it, I'm like, wow, four inches? That's going to stick for a little bit of time. But uh, I guess it's time, right? It's coming. It's, it's imminent. <laughs> but something else is imminent. And that's the Lord's return, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Peter in chapter 3. I would venture to say that since the events that took place on October the 7th this year, the attack of Hamas on, the Israel, on Israel and the Jewish people, and so many people being killed in this that one day, they say more than any other day, since the Holocaust, the Holocaust, and of course that went over a period of years that killed six million of Jews. Um, I would say that most Christians, I would venture to say, that most Christians have given more thought to the coming of the Lord's return <clears throat> than we have in past. Even this past Sunday night, when uh, Pastor Phelps brought forth um, his message from Ezekiel there, and of the current ev the events that are going to take place at that time and how things seem to be shaping up toward that and drawing application. Uh, certainly, we as a congregation have been exhorted to be more watchful. And we've been covering, as you, uh, you maybe not, maybe you don't remember this, but I've been covering the book of Second Peter, so it's been an extended period of time with lots of things in between. But uh, we've come now to the third chapter of second peter and peter is talking here about the day of the lord coming you remember in um peter's writings both first and second peter he says it is it's it's his purpose to stir up our minds to remember and he said that twice in this book in uh, chapter one um in verse 12, he says that I intend always to remind you of these things um, and to stir up by way of remembrance, verse 13, by way of reminder. And then here again, at the first verse of our passage this morning, he says, now this second letter that I'm writing, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So we're trying to be, he's trying to stir up these believers to remember these things that God has said in the past, maybe way in the past by the prophets, but maybe even more current by, at that, at that particular time, by, by the apostles who were obviously not giving just what they wanted to say, but they were giving the commandment of God, of Jesus himself. Um, and they were, uh, he, now he was wanting them to be reminded of these things that have already been spoken, but need to be foremost in, in their minds. And remember, Peter, this is his final epistle. We don't know how long after this epistle Peter, uh, you know, faced death himself. Uh, we know through tradition the way he faced death was that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified um, the same way our Lord was. That's what he. That's what tradition says. We don't know for sure that that's fact, but there's a lot of things that point to that. Um, but Peter is, uh, no doubt, is in. An older man at this point, certainly a, a mature man in the Lord at this point. 
and uh, and he, you know, when when you when when you get older in age, you're probably a little more careful with about with things that you say that can impact other people. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously underneath the Spirit's inspiration, but I'm sure he is being very careful about what he is saying here to these readers because this is probably the last thing that he is going to say. This is the last thing. He probably, maybe he didn't know that. Maybe he didn't know this would be the last book that he would write, this last letter that would be in our Holy Scriptures, that would be inscripturated for centuries later for us to read. But he certainly knew that this one would be. And so uh, let's read uh, uh, all through this passage, Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1, continuing to the end of the book. Now this is the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and saviors through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of God, holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our bro beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So we're going to cover this this morning as best we can. And, you know, one thing is nice to know, that if you're staying for our meal today, that you don't have anything burning in the oven. So we can stay here for an hour or two and just kind of mosey through this passage. And until I hear stomachs growling so loud that I can't speak anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but we do have a good bit of time. So we're thankful for that. And I'm, I think I'm starting earlier than maybe normal. It seems like things went really fast in the beginning. So I even have extra things now. Um, and I'll need it. Okay. All right. Number one. We see here in this passage, we see that the scoffers... The scoffer's denial of the predictive word of God. Scoffer's denial of God's predictive word. Uh, remember, he talked about these scoffers, uh, even the false teachers and the, the false prophets back in chapter 2. We covered that, maybe not in any detail we didn't cover it. We covered their, their conduct, their character that, that went on there in chapter 2. And these are probably some of the same people that are now scoffing. These same false prophets, these same false teachers. I mean, it could be other people besides them, but uh, certainly it's these people uh, that are that are really throwing in the face of the believers the predictive promises of God's word. And so they are asking questions, and their questions are not <clears throat> are not uh, really sincere, right? Notice how he says it here. That these are the predictions of the holy prophets, okay, knowing this in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first of all, that these scoffers, they will come in the last days with scoffing. Now, a little bit of a textual variant there, the with scoffing, um, though many commentators give, uh, give look, and not, not just the commentators, but even the Latin Vulgate, even the church fathers, there is an additional word there. Peter is using uh, a, t a technical thing here in the Greek where he's using not only the verb form, the noun form, scoffing, or mockers. It's either, either translation is good with that. It means the same thing. A mocker, a scoffer, same thing. But he's doing it with scoffing. All right? So that's a, so he's emphasizing what they're doing. Okay? He's em there's an emphasis in what they're doing. So... Uh, so you may not have that in your in your, but if you, I just wanted to make point that out because it sounded funny maybe that I that I was reading it that way, but that's the, the way we believe the manuscripts wrote were written. Uh, that these scoffers were come with scoffing, and it really shows their intent. Their intention was not that they really were asking questions because they wanted to know the answer. Their their asking of the questions was coming so that they could make a mockery of what God had said. That's the point. They're making a mockery of what God, they're making fun at the promises of God. And no doubt, this goes on today. I mean, in social media, no doubt, even on national television, uh, this, this takes place. Um, we see them scoffing at God's promises and not believing God's promises. And, uh, and here's what they say. So, so really, this is their intention. Their intention is to poke fun at God and those that are believing God. Their motivation behind it all 
is coming out of their own lust. This is what Peter says. He says that they were following their own sinful desires. And if you look back in chapter 2, you'll see how he just delineated this out. Just look, look with me really quick through some of these verses in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, Many will follow their sensuality. And then in verse 3, he says, I should have highlighted these in my Bible. Um, and then verse 3, he says, In their greed, they will exploit you. And then again in verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions. And then in verse 11, um, looking at 11 right and do not uh, uh, pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord okay so the idea is that I think maybe 11 is not one of the ones but they're blaspheming they're boldful willful they don't tremble trying to get the idea of the fact that they're following their sinful lusts okay all these passages uh, verse verse uh, verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable, insatiable for sin. In verse 18, um, they're speaking loud boasts of folly. They entice, they entice by sec, sensual passions of the flesh. And then verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Christ, they are entangled again and overcome. Right. So there's the defilements of the world. So throughout the the uh, this, this second chapter here of Peter, Peter is he is made reference to the, the their their lust, their desires that that are driving them, that is behind uh, in the, the, the behind their in, in 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 motivating them to do the things that they are doing, um, their own sinful lust, and then. We see thirdly that there is a claim now of a kind of uniformitarianism, all right? A uniformitarianism. Notice what they say. They say they question the promise of, of the coming, and then they make the statement for in verse 4, for ever since the fathers fell asleep. Now, he may be referencing uh, the fathers of the Jewish nation, all right? Or he may just be referencing fathers in general down through the centuries nothing has changed from generation to generation your father it was no different when your father died and it won't be any different than when you die and your kids are and when their kids and their kids nothing has changed and so this is sort of a uniformitarianism type of approach to to the world we're living in and and certainly uh that's even more prevalent today in in our society uh where there is even that has even come into uh, into Christian churches, quote unquote Christian churches, right? Uh, universal universal Unitarianism, uh, Universalism. Also, uh, the idea that that God made the thing, God and something set this thing in order, and nothing has been changing, and God is not stepping in in the midst of of that process to to do anything. Um, to, to make himself known, so is he going to come back like he said he's going to come back? 
Is that promise really a legitimate promise that he is going to come back? He hasn't done it yet, and we haven't seen him stepping in. And, of course, Peter takes, takes, uh, takes uh, you know, he questions that. Notice what he says, for they deliberately overlook this fact, right? So they're overlooking something in order to make these statements that God has never stepped in. And what are they overlooking? And remember, he is not saying this to those that are scoffing. He's not reminding the scoffers of this. He's reminding us, the reader of this. All right. So that's the important thing. We're to be we're to be reminded of the way God's word has worked in the past. And it has indeed stepped in from the very beginning. Creation, it was by God's very spoken word that we came into existence, that this world came into existence. And he kind of, he, he, uh, he talks about that with, it was formed out of water and through water. And if you look at the old, if you look at Genesis and the fact that there was the water and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. I mean, what is that, right? That, that this was before earth was even established. So there was some kind of out of water and through water that he is, is hinting at here. I mean, maybe people that are more, you know, in depth and study, even in reference to um, true science and through things that are going on, maybe they can explain that a little bit better, and they probably can. Maybe I'll talk to Dave about that. Uh, but uh, he's definitely referencing the creation here, and he's specifically referencing water. Okay, so it was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, God's word. And that by means, okay, then uh, verse 6, and that by means of these, the world then existed was deluged with water. So God not only used water in the creation, but now he used water a second time, he's stepping in. And remember, this was God's word. God, God was fed up with these people whose sin was such was so bold before him that he felt like he needed to he was just going to wipe out the entire world but Noah found grace in God's sight right in Genesis 6 and so God preserved Noah and his family but for the most part he took water that he had created the world out of and now he used that water now to destroy the complete the complete world at that point and these facts are things that the scoffers are deliberately overlooking, right? It's willful. That, that's another textual variant there. The idea is that they are, they are not willing to accept that. They're not willing to believe that fact. Now, it's interesting. He says, now, by the same word, this is the word of God again, the heavens and the earth are now existed are stored up for fire. Now he's getting to prophetic. The idea he now he is he, he was talking about the past, now he's talking about the future. This world is set for the destruction not by water anymore. We know. We have God's promises and we see it every time we see a rainbow. This is God's promise he will not destroy this world again by 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 water, but he is going to destroy it by fire. And folks, this could be very unsettling, could it not, <laughs> to these believers? It's just maybe unsettling to us. Everything that we see around here, 
even the trees, even the mountains themselves, and the heavenly bodies. Think about the heavenly bodies. It's hard to believe. It's all going to be burned up by fire. It's interesting, the word that's being used here is the word for something that is loosed. Um, It's the word, really, that when you're studying the Greek language, you actually learn the, the... the past tense, present tense, future tense, and all the in-between thing. You have you you go through a series of uh, what do they call them? Uh, where you talk about the first person, singular, plural. You talk about you know present tense verbs, past tense verbs, and so you're using a particular word in order to 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 see how that word looks. So that when you see that word, you see the root of that word, and you see the ending of the word, the beginning of the word, you're able to identify whether it's past tense, future tense. I'm not really explaining it right, but so you actually memorize this luo, okay? Luo, luace, lue, luante. I can't can't say it now, but I mean, you just had them all down. You have these, these, these cards in order for you to recognize these verbs, okay? And that's the word that's being used, the word luo. And it's the word for loosing something. So what is this going to be like? We don't know exactly how the world is going to be burned up by fire. I mean, think about that fire that took place over there in, uh, in uh, Hawaii just a, a few months ago, right? And how quickly that thing spread. People weren't even, didn't even have time to escape uh, because, because of the wind that was blowing, the oxygen that was fueling that fire so fast. And it just killed so many people so fast. Well, something like that, but on a greater scale, is going to happen. And God, is God going to just quit holding the atoms together? Unloose the atoms? I mean, we know what that's like when an atom is unloosed, right? <laughs> this is an atomic bomb. We have them, all right? We've seen the destruction that they can do. And what if all atoms do that, folks? That was just one atom. Maybe it, it, I think it hits other atoms, does the same thing, right? That's that increases the atomic bomb. I don't know how it all works, but anyway. But God is going to loose. He is going to somehow, through some means, He's going to allow this world to be completely dissolved. Everything, all the heavenly bodies. Think about how big those heavenly bodies are, folks. It's all going to be gone. Now. As people that are trusting God, we can say that that could be a little disturbing. Are we going to have to go through that? Are we going to experience that kind of a thing? And if we aren't, maybe other relatives of ours aren't. So this could be this could be disturbing to them. Um, we're going to get back to that in a second. How God is going to make promises there. Um, but this is the same word that are, are the same word again. He's don't get away from the fact that Peter throughout this whole book is talking about God's word. We just we we talked about that in our in our first couple of messages. How God's word was that which would provide security for us and certainty for us and would give us uh, um, boldness because we're following His word. Um, his word is everything that we need. Look over in chapter 1, verse 3. His power, divine power, granted unto us everything that we need through life and godliness. 
It's through his word that he has provided these things. And that's really a theme throughout the entire book. And it's when the false teachers take and distort and twist God's word, he's contrasting that with the true word. Um, even as he talks there at the end of chapter 1 and verse 2, that talking about the prophecy of the scripture comes from nobody's private and own interpretation, but it was produced and spoken by God and by these men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so again, it's by God's word that he has prophesied that these things are going to come to an end. And folks, we can bank on it. Has God ever said anything that hasn't come to pass? And it's interesting, I think I heard statistics on this here just recently. The Old Testament is some 28% of the Old Testament is predictive. And the New Testament, some like 21% of the New Testament is predictive, is prophecy. God is going to make these things come to pass. He always has, he always will. And we see proofs of it throughout the prophecies in the Old Testament. We see it, it transpired in the New Testament, just like he said it was going to happen. Well, God is saying this world is set up for fire in the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, and you can bank on it. That's what's going to happen. And then, then he says, start in verse 8, <clears throat> interesting how he does this. He uses the same phrase that he took in verse 5 for those scoffers who were overlooking this fact. They were deliberately overlooking the fact. He doesn't use that. He doesn't use the word deliberate here. But in verse 8, he says he's encouraging us not to overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. All right, let me get back to my outline here <laughs> um, the scoffers are in denial of God's predictive word and secondly we see also that the, the Lord's delay the Lord's delay in fulfilling his predictive word what is causing what is what is the reason behind the Lord's delay in fulfilling his word the scoffers are saying he's not coming yeah, it hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen. And uh, and Peter is saying, no, trust God's word. He, by his word, created this world. He, by the, his own word, it destroyed the world by the flood, and he has promised that he's going to do it again by fire. But what is stopping him from going ahead and doing it now? And here's here's the and here's what Peter is getting at here, even when he said, um, and this that we just read from verse um, verse 8. Peter is getting at this. God's view of time is much different than our view of time. One day with the Lord, it's like a thousand years. But a thousand years is like one day. See, God is eternal. He doesn't, he's not, He's not subject to time like we are. So when God destroyed the world in the flood, folks, that wasn't really that long ago for him in his mind. In God's mind, a thousand years is just one day. Folks, that was just a few days ago the earth got destroyed by, by the flood. 
in God's mind. This is how God is. He he transcends time. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to fathom this because we're so bound by time. I mean, everything we do is by time. We start on time. We try to, and uh, we're at, we punch in a clock at work on time. And uh, the the the, te- the TV show that we want to watch is a certain time that it comes on. But with God, He can step in anywhere, in any of that, because He's eternal. It's hard. To, it's hard to fathom. But he, Peter's trying to get us to fathom that. That's what he is saying. And he's not trying to give a, an exact, this is how you can figure out what's going to happen and how old the earth is. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And so the day age theory came about because they thought this was this was the formula here, you know. Uh, there's other people that have tried to come up with formulas too. But uh, no, he's, he's just saying God thinks of time differently as we do. He is on a different time schedule than we are. But why is it that he's delaying? Well, let's continue reading. For the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As we would think, well, what is slow? <laughs> all right, as we would count slowness, all right? As we would dis- dis- decide what is fast and what is slow. God isn't slow about it, but he is this. He is patient toward you. Why is that he's patient? Well, he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should reach repentance. All right? God is delaying his coming and this judgment on this earth because there are people that need to be saved. There's no question that's what he's talking about. People need to come to a place of repentance. They need to come to that, to reach that repentance, changing their mind about what God said. God is patient waiting. Thankfully, God has been patiently waiting long enough for us to be saved, right? Some of you saved later in life. God waited many years of your life, and he put up with you and all that you were doing to bring you to that point of repentance. I, you know, Thomas that I'm doing a Bible study with, he, he, he always is talking about this. He's always saying, boy, I wish I had this back when I was in my 20s. You know, we went to a church together over the uh, Heritage uh, Baptist Church in Dover, and he looks at some of these families that are there, and he's like, that's what I wanted. <laughs> but he's beyond that now. He's my age. You know, he's not be able to go back into his 20s and have a, you know, a nice Christian family, you know, but he's, that's what his desire is. That's what he wanted. But God was patient with him. God brought him to a, a point of repentance. And God is patient with us. And should we think that God is any more patient? I mean, there is going to be a generation, folks, that God is going to say enough. And I think we can vast, we can see it coming. I mean, I, I mean, maybe way pe- people back in the 1800s, maybe they thought they could see it coming too. I don't know. But, I mean, if, if there's any generation that could see it coming, it should be us. The way that things have been happening and so fast. And again, we don't know what God's timetable is. We're, we're, we're not date setters here. We're going to talk about that at the end. But uh, we're not date setting. But we can certainly discern the times. We have the scripture to help us to do that. And it ought to make us, it ought to make us 
wise. It ought to make us desirous. Peter's, uh, Tim, uh, Paul says to Timothy that it's God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul is not the only one. That, I mean, Peter is not the only one that talks here about the patience of God so that people would find repentance. Uh, Paul speaks of that too. So now, what is our responsibility? So this is point number three. I don't know that anybody's keeping notes, but if you are. All right. The believer's duty in light of God's predictive word. What now is our duty? And I'm going to like, I have like seven things here through this passage that are, that is, that is our duty in light of this. There are probably more that you can extrapolate from, from this passage, but these are the ones that are, that uh, were brought to mind, and seven was a good number to stop at. All right. So, number one, just look back to ver chapter 3, verse 1. He's saying, now this second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. We ought to be having sincere minds. Um, the idea there, something that is sincere is that it's pure. Right, as without blemish. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that this is the word that is used uh, in order to find out the sincerity of something, they would hold it to the light. Because if a pot was broken, they could fix that pot by filling it with some wax. And, that, uh, and they could make it look pretty much new again. But it really wasn't sincere. It, it still was broken. At one point, and the way in order to figure that out, they would hold it to the light. And that is the word I think that's being used here, and that is sincere. Are we sincere? When we are held to the light of God's word, how do we look? All right? And so we, uh, I think Peter, I mean, he, he's not specifically saying be sincere, <laughs> but he is referencing the fact that. He is stirring up their sincere minds. Well, if they don't have a sincere mind, then their mind is not going to be stirred right, rightly. If they don't have pure minds, that their 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 minds are going to be, uh, it's not it's not not going to have the right effect. Spurgeon said this about this passage. He said the purest minds need to be stirred up at times, and it would be a great pity to stir up impure minds. So that would only that would only be to do mischief. But pure minds may be stirred up as much as you please, and the more the better. So we ought, to, we ought to cultivate in our thinking a purity, a sincerity. And, uh, you know, I know there are things that, that we can think about, <laughs> and there are things that we can focus on in our minds that, God, that are legitimate, but, folks, we need to make sure that our minds are focusing on pure thoughts, truth, not false, not falsehood, but on the truth. Secondly, we are to remember God's promises. And that is just right in, in, uh, in that same section there uh, that, we, that we already discussed. Um, remember God's promises. God's promises are going to come to pass. We've already, we kind of talked through this already. God's promises, his prophetic utterances will come. Remember, the God's coming judgment is not something new in, in, in Peter's time. 
God's coming judgment was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. Even as far back as Enoch. Look at, look at the, just flip over a few pages to the book of Jude. Jude kind of gives us a, a glimpse of something that we would have not known except he, he gives us his glimpse, right? Look at Jude. He says in verse 14, and again, he's covering, he's covering about false teachers, false prophets, that, that judgment is coming on them. So he's kind of talking about this same kind of a, uh, the, the theme is the same. They have a little bit of difference of the nuance, as Pastor Maudsley tried to encourage us toward. But um, notice it says here in verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch, all right, who, who are these? Let's go back. These are the ones that were the false teachers, and he, he talks all through, and he, ta- he, he uh, a lot of phrases there. Uh, describing these false teachers. They just go back a little bit. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now Enoch is prophesying. Remember, Enoch is the one that that went to be with God and didn't have to die. All right? So Enoch prophesied. And here's what he said. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungod of their of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. I mean, you can see he's he's putting and all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now he uses that word ungodly throughout that passage. Even no matter which translation you have, you can see it. He that is a theme right there through that book, uh, through that through that verse. So Enoch is prophesying of God's judgment way back. Think about Enoch, folks. This is a long time ago. This is like 5,000 years back. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, this is a long time ago. Enoch was predicting that God would come with 10,000 of his angels. It hasn't happened. And that It still hasn't happened, folks. Enoch predicted this. Does that mean it's not going to happen? No. God's word is his word. He's going to be faithful to it. Enoch prophesied it way back. And again, it could be disturbing to us. And so, Peter, toward uh, the end of this chapter, I'm going to pull this one out, even though it's in in a passage, we're going to pull another one out. Here's another duty that we have to have. In verse 14, he says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace and at peace. So Peter is encouraging these people to be at peace, even though God's going to destroy this world by fire. It's going to happen. But we are to be at peace and we can be at peace because we're trusting the one who's in charge. We are believers in the one who is in charge, and he has promised things to us that we will that that we can claim and that we know we will not have to face this kind of judgment from God against our sin. And that's what is it's coming because of these people's sin. And then uh, and then just back up in that same verse, uh, or no, let's go back further to verse eleven first. Here's another duty that we have. And here he he just he just specifically writes this one right out. 
The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, verse, uh, verse 10. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and works that are done in them will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, now, the next phrase almost sounds like the beginning of a question. What sort of people? And I suppose you could take it that way, and some commentators do, but I think it's more of an, expl an exclamation. It's not more of a, a, a question. It is, you ought to be what kind of people? Because these things are going to be dissolved. He's not saying, what kind of people should we be? He's telling them, you ought to be different. You ought to be, what kind of people you ought to be? Because these things are going to be dissolved. And, and we, we ought to be living lives of, what does he say here? Holiness and godliness. And of course, we know as we develop in holiness and godliness, we're developing into the image of Christ. That's the whole point, right? Um, and he's going to talk a little bit about that in just a little bit, too, in one of these other duties that we have. But we ought to be living lives of holiness and godliness. This ought to be our goal. And then um, in verse 14, we talked about one of them to be at peace, but notice what he says here, and it kind of goes along with the holiness aspect, that we are to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Verse 14. How much diligence are we exerting in order to keep sin out of our lives? He's saying be diligent. You know, I just remember as a kid uh, when my parents would go away or uh, maybe my, my mom said, I'm going to check your room in 10 minutes. And it better be clean. <laughs> okay. All right. So we get in there and we uh, we do our best, but yeah, really, probably we throw most everything in the closet, right? And uh, mom comes in and says, is your room clean? And we say, yeah, just don't check the closet, right? <laughs> but, but we as believers ought to be diligent in our lives, every part of our lives, that if we see a spot, that we are, we are wanting to take care of that. We are wanting that to be cleansed. We ought to come uh, to services or when we open God's word, and we, we ought to be thinking in our hearts each time, God, if there's something there that needs to be addressed, expose it so that it can be addressed. Uh, I, I heard one man talk about when he first started coming to this certain church that he went to, um, when he, after he got to school, he's like, I just, I just... Uh, Every service, he said, it was so convicting. He said, I couldn't enjoy the service because it was so convicting that I, I had to take care of these things. He says, he said, actually, he said, it was kind of in my flesh that I, I, I used to pray before I even go to church. He said, I don't think it was really a spiritual thing. He said, but I used to pray to go to church before I went to church. God, is there anything I need to confess right now? Because I want to enjoy the service tonight. <laughs> um. But sometimes it's that way. God's word works, and if we're, if we're diligent about it, God's word can work in our hearts so that we can see the smallest of spots, and we can, we can deal with those things. 
That's our goal. That's what we ought to be. Found without spot and without blemish. What would you want to be seen? How, if the Lord were to come back, where would you want to be seen? Having just had a, a knockout, drag out fight with your brother or sister? <laughs> none, none of us in here are that age that we're going to be doing that anymore, right? Even Travis, maybe, but he's a brother or sister, so you're okay. All right. So, but we've had those knockout, drag out fights, haven't we? All right. Those of us that are brothers have had brothers and sisters. We've had those. Would we wanted the Lord to come back right after we got done saying that word to them? Or when we said that not so kind word to our spouse because of something that maybe they did inadvertently or maybe they did something wrong, but then we lashed back out with our tongue. Would we wanted the Lord to come back at that point? How would we have felt if that happened? No, we want to be we want to be diligent to be pure, to be without spot, without blemish when the Lord returns. And then down fur further here, um, let's see. In verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So we need to be watchful and avoid false teaching and false thinking. Now think of Peter. Peter actually succumbed to this. We have recorded in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul had to confront Peter because he was, he had been led away, led astray by these Judaizers who said, you know what? You guys can't, you can't associate with these Gentiles. And before they came, before these, I forget the, the phrase, they were the, those of the circumcision is how he called them, right? Uh, this sect of the circumcision. Before they came, Peter was all good. He knew that God had opened salvation to the Gentiles, and he was fellowshipping with them and everything. And then these people came in, and they changed Peter's mind, or at least in hypocrisy, he no longer was doing it because of them. And Barnabas was carried away by their deception too. So... Peter is speaking out of personal experience here. He was one that wasn't so watchful, and he succumbed to this until Paul had to confront him to his face and said, listen, you're, you're being a hypocrite. You know, the, the Gentiles are just like us, and we shouldn't be avoiding them. We should be fellowshipping with them, and they're, they're part of the body of Christ, and Peter had to be corrected. And so, I don't know if Peter actually was thinking those thoughts when he wrote that those words, but he certainly knew that his own stability was shaken at one point. And folks, don't think that if it can happen to an apostle, that it can't happen to us. That, that'd be pretty high. That'd be pretty proud to say that. So we need to be careful that it doesn't happen to us, that we don't get on such a tangent of something that we're led astray from, from faulty thinking and false teaching. All right? So be watchful and avoid false teaching. And then finally, and this one probably the paramount one, because this is really, this is really the, one of the themes through the book of, uh, through the book of 2 Peter here. One of those themes that keeps weaving its way through, and that is that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like being a plant placed into a garden that's been prepared, that's been tilled, that has been fertilized, that's been watered. Everything is there. The soil is there. It, the nutrition is there for you to grow. And that's the environment in which you ought to be growing in God's grace. God's grace is like that. It, it, is, it, it is the environment where you can grow. And God's grace is, is not just unmerited favor when it comes to God. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, experiencing uh, favor from God. All right? It's not, not just that for sinners. Here's one, one man said this about with respect to the grace. He said, with respect to its basic meaning, grace, undeserved favor of sinners, it appears that grace embodies an aggregate of God's attributes, so a compilation of his attributes, including God's kindness, mercy, love, compassion, freedom, omniscience, omnipotence. This comprehensive view is preferable to regarding grace as a single, as a single attribute or perfection of God. So grace sort of pervades all these other attributes of God. And we need to be growing in that, growing in the grace. And, and how do we grow in that and also in the knowledge of the Lord and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, certainly, again, the theme is there. It's through God's word. That's how it's going to happen. Peter's been, Peter's been talking about this the, the entire book. He's been talking about the importance of God's word. And how, how, how vital it is for the believer. And now at the end he says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Implied and that's going to be through the scripture that that, that, that growth is going to take place. Well that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of things to, be, uh, to be, have on our to-do list. Right? <laughs> Those seven things among many others. But. This is in light of the fact that the Lord is coming back. In light of the fact that, that judgment is coming. Right? And it's interesting that he, where, where was that, that he said this? Um, I'm going to find it or not. this down <clears throat> it was this I, I was just reminded of this I know it's in this passage no can't find it but the idea here is that the responsibility that we have um, that were, here it is, got it, verse 12. Look at that with me. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. What does that mean, folks? I mean, commentators are baffled at this, are they not? I mean, what does it mean that we can hasten the coming day of God? 
how are we to how are we going to in anything that we do make God's timetable come faster somehow there is something that we can be doing to hasten and I mean the only thing that I've heard and that is we ought to be doing the things that God wants us to do and the reason why he is not coming because he is not willing that any should perish so how do we hasten the coming day of the Lord we ought to be busy about witnessing that's what God is wanting us to do and, and in some way, maybe we are hastening the coming day of the Lord as we do that. There certainly is going to be the last person. Think about that. The last person to accept the Lord. Boom, God's coming. We don't know who that is, but we can hasten it. We can be faithful with the message of the gospel. And certainly that our lives ought to back up what we're what we're saying um i'm gonna close with this illustration um sort of a negative illustration <laughs> but it was 179 years ago last last sunday october 22nd 1844 anybody know what that is that the great disappointment was realized it was William Miller, who was a Baptist preacher, the beginning, he was the founder of the Millerites. He proposed that Jesus would return to the earth, having studied the book of Daniel, chapter 8. He had figured all this out. God's going to come between this year and this year. And then he kind of narrowed it down more the more he studied. And, he's, and so he actually, a specific date was set. It was October 22nd, 1844. The Lord was coming. Right over here in Exeter, New Hampshire, there was a whole group of people who were being preached to by Samuel Snow. These people gave away all their possessions. They waited expectantly. This date came, and it went. And it's been 179 years now, and the Lord still hasn't returned. Um, and when Jesus didn't appear, that date became known as the Great Disappointment. The Great Disappointment. They tried to set other dates. Actually, this is the reason why I kind of like study this a little bit is because uh, that one fellow that I work with, the Seventh Day Adventist, and the Adventist movement came about this time out of this whole movement of the Millerites. Um, so we're not date setters, folks. But you know what? We are not going to be disappointed when God comes. There will be no great disappointment. It will be a great delight. And we know he's going to come as a thief. He's going to come when it's unexpected. A thief does not come when you expect him. I mean, all of a sudden, he's there, and he's gone, and you didn't even know what happened. And Jesus is going to do that. Are you ready? Are you doing these things to be ready? Or maybe today, perhaps, by by somebody watching, or maybe somebody here. I don't know everybody's personal testimony here. Most of you I do. But maybe perhaps there's somebody who's not ready, not ready for the Lord's return yet, never having trusted Jesus as their Savior from their sin. You need to be ready. That's how you get ready first. You've got to trust the Lord. You've got to call on him for repentance and faith in him. And, and, and you know, all the good things that you have done, you've got to put that aside. 
and say, you know what? It's not my good things. It's only what God has done good that's going to save me. It's only his shed blood on the cross that's going to save me. It's only that righteousness that's going to account for anything in the end when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ or before the great white throne judgment. It's only those things are the only thing that's going to matter is the righteousness that Jesus lived through his life that he has now given to me through faith in his in his uh, in his sacrifice and his shed blood. So today, if you've not done that, that's that's the first step for you is to trust Christ as your savior. If you've done that, folks, there's lots of things that we can be doing here and getting ready for this coming day of judgment. That is before us. Let's bow a word of prayer. Lord, as we think about your word this morning, we think about the truth of it. We think about its verity. We know, Lord, that what you have said is going to come to pass. And Lord, we know that we have responsibilities in the midst of um, our lives toward you, toward, for you. Lord, we we sometimes, we are living our lives and enjoying your creation, enjoying the things that you have blessed us with. Uh, Lord, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that the Lord is going to return. Keep that ever before us. Lord, even the current events that we are hearing, Lord, remind us each day as we get up, today could be the day. And Lord, we would pray, even as John prayed, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. 